This week, many of us are cooped up at home with family or roommates social distancing to slow down the spread of the 2019 novel coronavirus. But being stuck at home is difficult and not so great for our mental health. So I spoke with Anna Harwood-Gross, an Israeli psychologist, about how we survived the situation. I'm Lev Gringaus, and welcome to The Jews Are Tired, your podcast about Jewish news. So to give you the quick background, Anna Harwood-Gross is an Israeli psychologist and the director of research at Metiv, the Israeli Center for Psychotrauma in Jerusalem. Metiv has been operating since 1989 to address post-traumatic stress disorder and other psychological traumas in Israelis, working to treat patients as well as to research and develop new treatment programs. Metiv also has a relationship with Jewish communities outside of Israel, integrating them into a program to help Israeli former combat soldiers work through their trauma after being released from the army. The nine-month program called Peace of Mind gives counseling and therapy to the former soldiers, and as part of that, soldiers are hosted for a week by Jewish communities outside of Israel to give them a supportive place to heal and some distance from Israel. But that's pretty different from dealing with the mental health situation most Israelis, most Americans, and many people around the world are finding themselves in. The Associated Press estimated that, as of Monday, over 1.5 billion people, or more than one-fifth of the population of the world, was told to stay home to stop the coronavirus pandemic. And as mental health needs have changed, mental health professionals have adjusted to serve those needs. So I spoke with Harwood Gross about how her job has changed and bombarded her with questions about how to stay sane at home with family, how parents should be scheduling days for younger kids or if they should be scheduling anything at all, and how to be informed about the news without giving ourselves news-induced anxiety. Our conversation has been lightly edited for clarity. The first question I'd actually like to ask you is, how has the pandemic changed the way you do your job? Uh, Because particularly in Israel, my understanding and my assumption would be that a lot of your work has to do with helping people through post-traumatic stress disorder, to do with things like terrorism and war, uh, and helping people deal with quarantine and social distancing feels like a hard pivot away from that. So how has the situation changed your approach to your job, uh, and what are you hearing from people about their mental health needs in this pandemic? So there's my work as research director, and then there's also clinical work, both the clinical work that I do in my clinic and also the clinical work that we do in our center, um, Metiv. So we see soldiers, we see people with general PTSD from the civilian population, we work with people with all sorts of life crises as well. And we're having to suddenly, with almost, I guess, no warning, move everything online and that's causing a huge shake-up with the organization and how we manage normal therapy. So on the one hand, we're having to suddenly train therapists to use all kinds of platforms like Zoom and Skype and WhatsApp video. We're trying to um, understand the implications of ethics and how we do therapy online. We're also trying to 
really streamline our services so people can also access our services. Um, this involves getting patients on board as well. Many people don't actually want to do therapy, which is not one-on-one. -on -one. And so losing that personal contact is something that we're really trying to understand how it's going to affect us, especially in the coming months. Um, on the one hand, there's more need for therapy. People are isolated and for someone that's suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder that isolation can be even harder and for someone that's in any way just on their own or um, with limited resources social isolation can create a whole load of problems that we're I just not used to dealing with um, so we're really trying to learn about the implications of um, the current situation of all that we already know about health anxiety, about social isolation, about depression, um, about epidemics and try and translate them into our clinical work. And then on the other hand, you've asked about how does it affect my work in particular? Well, I'm researching a load of different um, topics related to PTSD. One of those topics is um, moral injury and looking at guilt and how that affects healthcare workers and veterans. And that's something that's very translatable to the current situation. Um, but other than that, we're researching um, PTSD amongst soldiers, resilience programs. We have an amazing program which works with soldiers and sends them across America and Europe to do uh, rehabilitation and resilience work with therapists from Israel. And that's completely on hold. So all my research in that direction has just stopped. On the other hand, the opportunities right now for different types of research are open, but there's no funding because everything has shut down, universities, grant, grant organizations. It's really a challenging time for all of us. Um, and what are, when you're talking to patients, you know, what are you hearing from people in terms of their mental health needs in this situation? So we started talking especially to our veterans who we work with at Métis. Um, so the veterans are people that have either done our peace of mind program or are on the waiting list for our peace of mind program. So they're people that have either gone through psychological help already and resilience building. And then there's also people that are on the waiting list and really want it even more so. And a lot of the issues are really dealing with economic um, worries. There's a lot of, lot of stress on people um, losing their job. I'm, I've just heard that over half a million people since the beginning of the corona outbreak in Israel have gone on to enforce leave, which is an incredible amount of people. And at that point, people are just going into survival mode. So at dealing with therapy and working on building up a therapeutic relationship is probably the last thing on their mind. And just struggling to stay afloat is more a pressing issue for them. Um, also, working with people who are suffering from anxiety and um, who are suffering from being alone right now, that's something that we're hearing a lot of. Um, depressed symptoms, hopelessness. But again, there's also a a lot of resilience which is coming out, a lot of community initiatives, and people are really managing to find um, strength in what is a difficult situation. And so let's now get into, uh, of course, I have some questions for you that I'm, I'm hoping you can share your expertise on, uh, which, first of all, I should ask the question that I've heard from a few people, which is, how do you manage being cooped up with family and not go crazy? 
Uh, and I've heard this a lot from from my age group, uh, sort of young adultish. But I also know for parents, of course, this is a huge question. Um, definitely, it's something we've talked about a lot um, as a team and looking at trying to, you know, give people the best advice that we can possible. Suddenly, people are going from everyone having their role in a family. Uh, the husband goes out to work at this place, the wife goes out to work at another place, the kids go to school, everyone has their roles and their daily schedule. And suddenly they're moving into a situation where everyone is living together and 24-7 being under each other's feet. So for some, that might actually be a good time to work on uh, family relationships and enjoy being with the family. And I've definitely heard of people saying that it's a good opportunity to do all those things that they hadn't been able to do together, like getting a sleep schedule for young kids and spending time on learning to read and write together with parents and children. Um, but on the other hand, it could be a really challenging time. And I think that's something that is very, very important to discuss as a family unit, whether it's older children living with their parents or whether it's um, couples or singles who are living with housemates, flat shares. There's all kinds of family units that we're living with at this at this time and discussing it and using this opportunity to really work on modes of communication is really important. So for some people who really need time on their own to process what's going on, it's important that they're able to express that to their partner or living situation and um, find a way of getting the time on their own. On the other hand, there's some people that might need extra support and that might be physical support, that might be verbal support, really trying to understand what are my needs as a person? How do I best get support and how can I ask for that from the other person and how can I also be open to receiving it? On the other hand, what does my partner, my living partner, my romantic partner need from me and understanding how we can do that dance together? I think in... Psychological terms, a lot of different types of therapies focus on this dance between people and understanding a new dance and the new rules of the dance are very important to creating a livable and workable situation. In terms of parents and children, that's a whole other board game because there's people trying to juggle work and kids running around, and that's requiring a whole new state of organization. And for that, really, especially for kids, and also the same applies for, for adults, creating a schedule is really important. Having everyone, you know, get up at a time that seems right for them, get dressed, um, know what's going on in the day ahead, knowing who's doing what, when they're doing things, when there's time for family time, when there's time for eating, when there's time for working. Um, keeping a routine is really important when we're just in a state of uncertainty at the moment. So to actually push on that, um, so the, you know, the sudden need to basically homeschool and have kids around 24-7 is really hard, especially with young kids. Uh, and I've seen this running debate across social media of, is it best to, you know, schedule the day as much as possible for the kids or just to make sure that they, you know, get schoolwork done, have enough to eat and then let them play on the iPad or watch TV for yeah. as long as they want so that parents who are also still working much of the time don't have to micromanage. So, I mean, I'm wondering yeah. if you can elaborate more on then, where is the balance between parents getting stressed out, trying to structure things uh, and, and sort of accepting uh, the situation that they're in? Like, how do you see that? 
Um, so I don't think that it's an either or situation. I think there's nothing wrong with at the moment accepting our hopelessness and really acknowledging uh, the fact that we don't know what to do. And that comes for everyone. I think often when you try and fight these feelings of anxiety and hopelessness and despair and even guilt, am I a good enough parent? Um, we just end up dwelling on them and ruminating on them and then we get nothing done. Um, so giving ourselves space to really acknowledge what we're feeling and check in with ourselves is important both as a single person, a married person or a parent. And that advice applies to everyone. And once you've done that check in and really understand, well, what are my needs? Then you can work out, well, how am I scheduling the day and what are the needs of those around me? Because until we learn to regulate ourselves, then it's very difficult to look after and regulate our kids. Um, so that's why also at Metiv we have a dedicated children's team, which run a program called Panda, uh, which promotes teaching self-regulation to kids and also to parents. And um, we're running groups online at this time especially with relation to your question with how we changed our work. Well, suddenly from running all these groups in our centre, we're having to figure out how we do groups of children online, uh, which is not an easy task. And so I think, I think working, how are we regulating ourselves and how are we regulating our children is most important. And then you can start working out, well, what is my schedule and what am I able to do? And if I'm not able to fill a day with every hour a different class, then trying to do that is going to make me more stressed and make me a worse parent. But if I can see what's important for the kids and what's also important for me to maintain my work schedule, then I can start putting in, in place a routine in my house. So that might involve an hour's free play. Um, that might involve two or three hours. But as long as there's a semblance of a schedule and routine, that will also lower the anxiety levels of the children and of the parents. And so now let's now talk a little bit more generally. Uh, we're living in kind of a scary moment. Uh, pandemic has shut down a lot of the world. A lot of people are suddenly stuck at home, social distancing and quarantining for the safety of society as a whole. But it's hard to be cooped up. Uh, so do you have any advice or insight on how we, in a, in a broader sense, mentally sort of keep ourselves prepared for this moment uh, so that I guess it doesn't make us lose our minds? <laughs> Um, that's a good question. And I don't think psychologists are immune from this. We're also working on ourselves <laughs> to not lose our minds. Um, this is definitely a challenging time for all of us. Um, and even by telling ourselves that we're doing this for the greater good, it's still very hard to keep motivated to maintain these social distances. I think that's maybe one of the big tips that I could give is that when we feel we're working towards a greater good, a greater goal, and that's something that keeps us on track and keeps us uh, working towards our values. And that's something that I'm taking a lot of strength from a type of therapy called acceptance and commitment therapy. Um, it's known as ACT colloquially. And that a very big tenant of that therapy and something that I use with a lot of my patients is trying to connect to deeper values rather than letting the emotions overrun us. And that's a bit more complicated than it sounds, but really trying to understand what's important to me right now and how can I connect to that in a situation which is completely out of my control. So that might mean that for me right now, I'm focusing on my work and I'm focusing on using my skills to help other people 
And so then I have to think, well, how can I do that within this situation where I'm forced to be in my house? I could just put my hands up in despair and say, I can't see my patients. I can't see anyone. How am I going to do therapy? How am I going to connect to all these people that are suffering? But on the other hand, I could think, well, what's going to enable me to do that goal? So I think it's always a combination. And I've talked about this in other answers to your questions about both acknowledging what we're feeling and giving us time to process that. And then also deciding on what's important for me right now and how can I work towards that. And doing one without the other won't work. You can't just focus, focus, focus on values without acknowledging what's going on because then you end up with complete burnout. You need to be able to do both check in and see how you're feeling and give yourself time to process those emotional responses, but also then be able to work towards the values which are most important to us at this time. And those values, maybe the big headline of what's important to me will be the same, but actually the things that I'm able to do within that category are going to change because of corona. And that might change because of economic reasons, that might change because you're in a room or a house or an apartment. Um, And that might also change because the needs of those around us are changing. And so we have to constantly be practicing our flexibility and our ability to work towards things at a different pace, with different end goals, um, with different techniques. That flexibility is very, very important at a time like this. And in that vein, how do how do we then, as Jews, keep ourselves okay in this moment? Sort of narrowing in on that. Uh, there's been you know an explosion of online Jewish content, which also then gets complicated for you know whether someone is ultra orthodox, orthodox, conservative, whatever. Uh, but there's a lot of different content, but it's still really hard to not be able to gather in person. Uh, and also speaking just for myself, you know, I love the online content, but as an introvert, I feel a little bit overwhelmed at all of the options for online Jewish learning and lighting the candles and Havdalah and this and that. You know, it, it's a lot. Um, so do you have any advice for how we, the Jews, make our way through this moment? Um, I think being Jewish is a, and being connected to a community is a real benefit at a time like this where we, as you've said, we're so isolated. Being able to connect to our deeper beliefs and religious beliefs or social religious beliefs is really important and can really give meaning to our lives. I myself um, am isolated in my house with my husband and my dog and we were able to go onto the balcony on Friday night and um, my husband actually led a Friday night service for all the neighbours on their balconies surrounding us and that's something actually we normally do on a Friday on our own because we often don't actually end up getting to the synagogue in time and actually having the encouragement by our neighborhood groups to go out on our balconies and start the prayer service was something that was really helpful also just to connect to the other neighbors in the building who are also going through the same thing. Um, in terms of religious practices, at the moment, it's very limiting. And I think that listening to the religious authorities who are also on board with this um, self-isolation, social distancing, whatever different countries call it, um, is really important. But it brings up another a number of issues that we're still working out how to deal with. Like not going to a synagogue is almost 
easy to say, okay, you can't have a gathering of more than 10 people, so that's no synagogue, but also women going to um, ritual immersion in the mikvah and um, weddings, funerals, life cycle events, they're all having to change and be questioned. And I think we need to also be very aware to how this is affecting us. And that comes down to a lot of media screening. As you say, you're a more socially introverted person. You might not be comfortable with these big Zoom social gatherings. And that's fine. And that's something that you should be aware of what helps you or makes you feel better. And if that's something that makes you feel uncomfortable, then pushing yourself to do it because that's what everyone's doing might not actually be best for you. If being exposed to all these religious edicts is something that's more stressful and more anxiety inducing, then actually having a conversation with your own spiritual advisor, your rabbi, one-to-one, not finding out your information on Facebook and online, actually will be a lot more helpful than following all the different posts and all the different opinions of how to maintain a religious lifestyle. In terms of communal events, I think the Jewish community is doing really well at putting a lot of content online and reacting to the situation and changing the way we talk about religion, moving it from a lot of conversations um, within little religious communities to a much wider conversation about how do we as Jews react, how do we as Jews celebrate Shabbat, how we celebrate festivals. And the upcoming Pesach festival is going to be really difficult and we're going to have to work out how we manage to have a Seder night um, under the extreme stress that we're all under. I, I think with that and sort of the, the how we take care of ourselves and the, the media that we're consuming, uh, I want to shift to what is my last question. Uh, and this interests me as a, an avid consumer of news, as a journalist, uh, and as someone concerned with other people being informed, particularly right now. Um, There's this tug of war, it seems, between avoiding the news to keep our sanity, but needing to pay attention to the news to be informed about all of the million important things that are all happening. Uh, And the added dimension is, I've seen a lot of people, you know, accuse the media of creating panic by reporting on the situation, by reporting on the increase in the number of known cases. Um, and, And it kind of rubs me the wrong way because I keep trying to figure out how to say, well, the situation is serious and we have to be informed, and it's not panic to be informed. Uh, And yet, while following all of the news around the coronavirus, even I get sort of jittery, and I know a lot of journalists who are actively reporting on the situation who also feel overwhelmed. So, you know, where is the balance between those things? How do we mediate between the need to be informed but also not allow... Uh, you know, the the nature of anxiety-inducing news to really get at us? Um, that's a very good question. And I think that um, in conversations with my colleagues, it's come up a lot. And the Hebrew word bakara, which means, I guess, control, I see it as a bit as quality control, um, is something that we try and pass on to our patients and our um 
contemporaries, I guess. Um, and that idea of quality control is something that we really need to apply to the media and the media that we're consuming. And I guess if you imagine it a bit like a factory line, um, there's a constant stream of media coming through. And we really need to spot those um, media institutions and those media outlets which are giving us both truthful news and also um, moderated news. So they go through a quality control process. They go and check their facts. They go and really make sure that what they're reporting on is the truth. And that's actually quite rare these days with the need to publish news that are constant steady stream that people are constantly kept informed there's actually not so much time to stop and think is this true how can I check this is true where am I getting my source from and I see that a lot with um, new online newspapers which are constantly publishing retractions after they've published something and then retracting it and that's very stressful for the news consumer so as a person who is suffering from this corona outbreak and needs to get through the next couple of days, weeks, months, having our own quality control is also very important. So we basically decide what news outlets am I going to follow? When am I going to follow them? Is it helpful for me to have my Facebook stream constantly giving me new news updates? Or do I want to check every hour or two? Or Every three hours, what's the rate that I want to be accessing the media and where do I want to be accessing my media from? And that is also leads back to what we were talking about, controlling our, our day, putting some structure in structure also involves controlling where we're getting our information from and who we're sharing it with as well. If we're exposed to all this media, do we want to constantly be having discussions with friends who enhance our anxiety and get wound up and say, you know, Armageddon is happening? Or do we want to choose the friends that we're talking to, someone who can rationally analyze the news with us, who can talk through our stress and anxiety, but also give us a sense of calm and appreciation for what's going on without making us in nervous wrecks? So that what key word of control applies to both how we're accessing media, what we're doing with that media, and who we're discussing it with. And I think that's really important to maintain a sense of sanity during this crazy time. Super well said. Um, thank you, by the way. And thank you, um, Anna Harwood-Gross, for being willing to, to sit down with me and for this podcast. Yeah, thanks so much. My pleasure. This has been this week's The Jews Are Tired podcast. I'm Lev Gringaus. Don't forget to subscribe and share. And hopefully next week, the Jews will get some rest. The Jews Are Tired is a product of Jewfolk Inc. For more information, go to tcjewfolk.com or email the show at podcast at tcjewfolk.com.